This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, week one of the NBA playoffs are in the book. The opposite of daddy issues. The sun is out in Southampton, kinda. And we look at round 13 of the surely the MRL will get it right this week, won't they? Football League. <laughs> Let's get cracking. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, albeit slightly rebranded, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? What caught my attention this week was the aftermath of Russian powerlifter Alexander Sadiq deciding in last week's World Raw Powerlifting Federation European Championships. Could they make that name any longer? Seriously. <laughs> What's the acronym? Uh, Werpfeck. Well, Werpfeck. Yeah, well. Okay, that works. Yeah. yeah. So he decided that he was going to squat lift 400 kilos. Now, let me premise this by saying I've shoulder-pressed 140 kilos before, and I felt like my knees were going to pop at that stage. So absolutely no surprise for anyone that didn't see it that his knees actually did. They basically both exploded. So I won't go into the gory details of what the doctors had to do to fix it up in a six-hour surgery, but the photos that he released show how swollen and bruised they are. It is... ugh. And he's now got to lie motionless in bed for two months before he learns how to walk again. Wow. So that well and truly caught my eye. How about yourself? Well, I was going to say, it, it, you know, could be worse. He could be Popoff, Valley Madropoff. He could. But um, <laughs> <laughs> what caught my attention? Well, could have been Russell Westbrook wearing an Iron Maiden shirt at the Rockets Thunder game. No. Could have been the Warney ads for his new fragrance, SW23, which, by the way, makes me laugh every time I see it. The fragrance for 48-year-olds on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's just, disgraceful, isn't although it? Although, I heard that apparently uh, all proceeds go to charity. Oh, okay. So, if that's true, that fair play to you. Fair play. But what it was, what caught my attention was episode one of Hard Knocks. Ah, the okay. NFL show that follows a team throughout the course of a season. Well, and this time it's uh, Los Angeles teams. So both the Rams and the Chargers, newly moved from San Diego, of course. Very little of it was actually to do with the sport itself. Most of it was to do with COVID and, you know, testing. And one of the guys actually tested positive and what he went through. So it was a really interesting episode. And it's going to be a really interesting series. Episode two aired on the weekend. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but it actually made me realize one thing. If the, if the NFL goes ahead, which... It, it will. We could have, for the first time ever, all four American major sports being played simultaneously. Wow. The NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and the NHL. So we'll have gone from no sports to just an overload. Yeah, oh, we've gone from famine to feast. Absolutely. As we struggle every week to try and fit in all this sport into <laughs> well, an hour. Let, yeah, let, let me write my complaint letter then. <laughs> What'd you miss, mate? Well, more than half of the NBA playoffs so far, unfortunately. Being in Perth and with the playoffs being played in Orlando, all of these games are being played at different times as well. We usually have a 1am, a 3.30am, a 6am and an 8.30 with half hour variations of each. So I'm usually getting up about halfway through the third game and it's really frustrating, sadly. But we'll talk more about the playoffs in the basketball wrap-up anyway. But yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, well, I hear you. I... I... I'm sad that I missed game one of Utah-Denver because they absolutely started the entire playoffs with a bang with an overtime game. So I would have loved to have seen that. And I must confess, I haven't seen nearly as much as I would have liked either. I've seen a couple of full games and a couple of minis and a couple of other games here and there, like not from start to finish. Mm. Still seen enough, yeah, I think. It's, it's extended highlights at yeah. this stage. That's yeah. pretty much what you've got to go with. These 1AMs are just, they're brutal. News roundup, mate. 
Well, we'll start with tennis. Our best mate, Novak Djokovic. Oh, yeah. He's caused further outrage. What's new? But uh, to he, this time? Well, he's made the decision to forego the coronavirus-secure hotels in New York in favour of renting a house because the allocated hotel rooms are, quote, too suffocating. Ah, yes. He claimed that every player had that option, but not everyone's made over $119 million on the circuit, so it must be so hard being such a spoiled pompous git. <laughs> I mean, surely, given the circumstances and the fact that he's already had the coronavirus, he's already been responsible for multiple players getting it in that Adria tour, which he still doesn't take responsibility for. No, of course he doesn't. If he was to get it again and infect people at the Open, what sort of penalty do you think would be fair? Oh, wow. How's that for a question without That is Well, and it comes back to what I said last time, because they want their star power. So I reckon they'd give him a slap on the wrist. Mm. But... Oh, wow, yeah. That's a really interesting one. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We might have to talk about that in real life. Three-year ban, that's that's my thoughts. <laughs> anyway, I, it's probably partly because I don't really like the guy that much, but anyway. The Tour de France, which was pushed back from July to late August, early September, is doing away with the podium girls with winners on the podium to now be flanked by one hostess and one host to maintain a bit of gender balance. Yeah, they're saying that the practice of having the two hostesses simultaneously kissing the yellow jersey winner is sexist and old-fashioned and that women aren't objects or rewards. I mean, 100% spot on. Absolutely, they are not objects or rewards. My argument is, though, why do they even need one, if that's the case? Yeah, it's a bit weird. If you're going to make the change... They're probably wearing sponsors on their shirts. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, yeah, if you're going to get rid of one, you may as well get rid of both. Just defeats the purpose. Hmm. Anyway, moving on to Super Netball now. The GWS Giants goal defence Christiana Manua was sent off not once but twice in a game against the Sunshine Coast Lightning. It Hitting marked... too many twos, was she? No, she's a defender. Ah. So there you go. It marked exactly the 200th game in Super Netball history after it came in in 2017. This is the first time anyone has been sent off once, let alone twice. Uh, Manua was sent off in the third quarter for a challenge on Kara Conan, which was maybe fair enough. She kind of undercut her a little bit. But with nine minutes left in the game and ahead by six, she was sent off for good for a second rough play call, attempting to steal a ball being passed to wing attack Laura Sherian. I have to say, this was really, really an unfortunate clash of just two people going for the ball. It looked like a really poor decision to me, and a lot of the greats of the game have well and truly come out supporting that theory. That To make it worse, though... The Giants were then forced to play the last nine minutes of the game a player down. Mm. So they couldn't even put one of their other players back in defense. So they had one defense versus two two offensive players. It's just, it's, it's a hiding to That's nothing. That's game over, yeah. And so the Lightning were able to win the match by a solitary point. And as if the two-point shot isn't bad enough, they couldn't hit it as well. But this this is just disgraceful. It really is. Well, uh, yeah, so it's it's week 12. We've already dealt with this twice, so we're hitting our uh, once-a-month average. Three times a lady. <laughs> Renee Gracie's dad has encouraged her to stay in porn after she made half a million dollars in the month of June. A couple of quotes here from uh, when she spoke to Husey and Ed on the radio there. When I first started making serious money, I had to tell my dad. I thought, oh my God, I'm making so much money. He's going to start figuring it out and asking, where are you getting all this money from? Another quote here, I had a little bit of a rough time on OnlyFans. It does get hard to try and be creative all the time. I turned to my dad and said, I'm just over it. I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. And he actually said, don't stop. You're making so much money. Don't stop. My friends and family don't really care or see the content <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, that I make or what I do. They see the implications it has, the money and the things it's allowing me to do. That's why they support it. Two questions here. Mm. One... How many dads encourage their daughters to stay in porn? 
that that pauses for the zero, Dad. Well, actually, now one. <laughs> and two, which daughters in porn then go to their dads for creativity? Like, oh, Dad, I'm just... I just Oh, I'm just feeling a bit... It's a bit boring. What can I do? What well, how ang- about this what, time? What angles do you think I yeah. should use? How about this time? Doggy second and cowgirl first. Oh, thanks, Dad. Thanks. Sorry, I wasn't very creative there, but this could devolve. So I intentionally wasn't too creative there. All, all that I can say about this entire thing is just... Ew. <laughs> it's so nasty. Uh, so back onto baseball. San Diego Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr., Broke an unwritten rule of baseball when he swung at a pitch with the bases loaded and the Padres up 10-3 in the eighth inning. Texas Rangers manager Chris Woodward stated that his team was annoyed Taddy swung with three runners on base and a seven-run lead, and he was even called out by his own manager, Jace Tingler. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I've never understood this in baseball. It's boring as it is, in my opinion. Why would you want to take a bit of excitement away from the game? So it was 10-3, if I'm not mistaken. The Grand Slam put them up 14-3. Okay, it's a pretty big lead, but it's not insurmountable when you've still got an innings left. I'm sure there have been matches where a team scored 11 runs. Pretty rare, I would imagine. It's happened. But it's, yeah. So I just don't get it. To me, it kind of goes to the similar argument in the NBA that if it's the last 30 seconds of a game, you take a shot clock violation. We've seen numerous times of guys taking shots that have resulted in fights. I remember Brandon Jennings running through JaVale McGee and Alfred Payton shoving Jay Crowder just off the top of my head. But my thought's always been, if you don't want the opposition to score, play some damn defense. Yeah. Like, that's why you're losing already. Well, and, and a basketball game with 30 seconds left is different to a baseball game exactly. when the opposition still has an at-bat. Exactly. And that was exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no clock to play to in baseball. You play until that final out. Do you know what it reminds me of, Shui, What's what that? you just spoke of? We went to, when we were members for the Wildcats at the, the old Perth Entertainment Centre, we went to the Wildcats versus the Newcastle Falcons. <laughs> and the buggers were up on us. So Newcastle were up. They were going to win. They called a timeout with like one second left. Four tenths of a second. I remember that game. And, you know, just what did it achieve? It just rubbed, you know, salt into the wounds of a game that they had wrapped up. I think you know what it achieved. It allowed us to get one more Mexican wave in. That's right, and then the idiots at the stadium thought that we wanted to do the Mexican wave after we were going to lose a game to a team that didn't make the finals. And, you know, they had some decent young. That was the Ben Pepper, Ben Melmoth. Uh, you know, Twin Towers, yeah, with Pat, uh, Pat Reedy. Scotty McGregor. Pat Reedy was on that it's team. It's a decent well. team, yeah. but yeah. No, look, honestly, stuff that. Swing for the fences, my man. Amen. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week's a follow-on from the MotoGP segment we had last week. For those who haven't listened to it, shame on you. But no, no. We, uh, we spoke about how Valentino Rossi and Spaniard Maverick Vinales miraculously avoided injury when two bikes involved in a crash went careening across the track at just a ridiculous speed. Well, over the weekend, the Styrian Grand Prix took place in Spielberg, Austria, and boy, is Spielberg an appropriate name because that was like something out of a movie. Phone home. So <laughs> it's actually home phone, believe it or not. So it's it's a ET home phone. It's a common mistake. Oh, it's something you go. I saw on that yeah, on, on YouTube. There you anyway, go. There you go. but uh, no, look as if he wasn't lucky enough last week with twelve laps to go heading into the first turn. Vinales went to brake at about two hundred and ten k's an hour and realised his brakes had overheated and weren't working. So he had a split second to make the decision to just jump off his bike at that speed and watch his bike crash into the wall at full speed and just burst into flames. So for back-to-back red flag races and avoiding the Grim Reaper twice in two episodes, all I can say is, Infierno Sangriento, bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. 
Quick roundup of the footy codes before we get into the AFL, Stuart. You got some soccer news. Yeah, so we'll start off with the UEFA Champions League. So Paris Saint-Germain were the first through to the Champions League final after dismantling RB Leipzig 3-0. Marquinhos, Angel Di Maria and Juan Bernat Velasco all scored to send the German side home. In the other semi-final, Bayern Munich also won 3-0 against Lyon. The French side probably should have scored at least twice in the first 17 minutes, and Serge Gnabry made them pay, scoring on a counter-attack, and then 15 minutes later, Robert Lewandowski put the game beyond Lyon in the 88th minute to, to finish off that 3-0. PSG and Bayern then played out the final in Lisbon overnight, with Bayern crowned Kings of Europe with a 1-0 victory behind a 59th-minute goal to Kingsley Coman, a former Paris Saint-Germain player, just to rub salt into the wounds. Early on, Manuel Neuer made a great save from Neymar, and Lewandowski was denied by the upright, but 1-0 it was, Bayern's sixth UEFA Champions League title. The Hyundai A-League elimination finals also took place over the weekend. Perth Glory 1 beat Wellington Phoenix 0. You little beauty, didn't see that coming. Goal in the 18th minute to Joel Chianese and some absolutely amazing goalkeeping from Liam Reddy, put it, putting to an end nine weeks in New South Wales for the Phoenix. And then Western United 1 beat Brisbane Raw 0. A goal in the 21st minute to Alessandro Diamanti with a cracking free kick in the top corner. Brad Inman struck the upright for Brisbane in the 67th minute, but they couldn't get any closer. So Western United play Melbourne City and Perth Glory take on Sydney FC for places in the grand final this Sunday. In the NRL, so Kevin Proctor, who we spoke about last week. Oh yeah, Bitey McBiteface. Yes, indeed. Now he changed his story. He said he got caught up in the moment, but nonetheless he still copped a four-week ban. You seem to think that he didn't draw blood, no no. Um, no foul there. Nah, look, from what I heard, the tribunal ran it like a murder trial instead of a basic judicial hearing, but <laughs> it, the whole thing just seems so overblown to me. Four weeks for that's a disgrace. Yeah, it, uh, I feel like he should have got something, but maybe not four. Oh, maybe one, two. One or two, yeah. Yeah. And then things aren't going great for the Brisbane Broncos, so they're currently sitting second last on the NRL ladder. They've managed to lower the bar even further. Last week, they had 10 players found to have breached the biosecurity rules by visiting the Everton Park Hotel which is about 20 minutes north of the Brisbane CBD. You know, just to have a few beers, play the pokies. They were fined $75,000, and the players are further $65,000 for 140000 total. And the club's in even more hot water after what's been labelled a piss-week sacking of star forward Tavita Pangai Jr. Who's, who's labelling it piss-week, Stewie? Is that just us? Uh, the, well, the media, former players, okay, a lot good. of people. Okay, we, we label it piss-week too. Yeah. After he breached protocols by visiting a barbershop with links to the Mongols bikey gang, he was fined $30,000 and stood down indefinitely, but the team's attempt to tear up his contract hasn't gone well, as it seems the breach notice provided to Pangai is supposedly riddled with errors and not worth the paper it's written on. He apparently wants to stay with the club. Don't know why. Could just be the checks, I guess. What a mess. What a mess. And then finally, Anthony Seabold is apparently being given a $1 million golden parachute to leave the club. They really want to get rid of him. So. No, nothing officials come out on that. It's very much conjecture at this stage, but people close to it apparently say it's it's pretty much a done deal. So yeah, apparently there's no money around, but they can just no. give, give him a million dollars to walk. That's it. Crazy. That's it. AFL news. A few little bits and pieces before we get into the Sir Doug Nichols Indigenous round. Uh, so Tom Lynch escaped with yet another fine after his little jumper punch. Damien Hardwick came to uh, came to his defence and looked like a bit of a tool, really, didn't he? Yep. So several people have said that Lynch's, uh, you know, been very lucky to not cop any time. Since then, he's now been put through to the tribunal again for uh, repeated minor misdemeanours or minor, you know, repeated small acts that kind of could add up to a ban. 
Um, I believe that when I see it. So, this is a weird one. So, Damien Hardwick came out and said, oh, you know, you can't judge a bloke off one incident. Well... We're not. Uh, well, yeah. So, I did a bit of a scour of the message boards and the comment sections on newspapers uh, and stuff. And basically, everyone said, uh, no one knows that he was a dick at Gold Coast because no one watched the games. But he was a dick at Gold Coast too. And Damien Hardwick, like, I just don't get the defense. So, David Schwartz was one of the... Um, uh, one of the media people who said that he acted like a buffet or something. It was a fairly innocuous comment, really. And Damien Hardwick decided he'd come out and say, oh, yeah, well, well, Shorter was crying within 20 minutes of our grand final when we beat Melbourne. So not very becoming of a coach, I wouldn't have thought. Why did he need to say that? I, th- I think it's very much becoming what Damien Hardwick is, quite frankly. Yeah, just- well... I mean, you've got to stand up for your player, but at the same time, yeah, why do you need to take a, a personal shot at a guy from a game that was played 20 years ago? So, now, And it's a bit hypocritical to say, you know, don't, you know, don't throw stones, and then he's thrown one of his, of his own. Hmm, throwing so, the cheeky back here. Yeah. Look, Gee, they must be really rising in the tables of most hated team, I reckon, the Richmond Tigers. Well, for me, they were already at the top, but, <laughs> but this, this, is, this has just put them way further ahead now. Now, look, I'm going to preface this by stating I'm an Eagles fan. People that know me know that. People that have been listening to the show would know that. So I understand there's some hypocrisy in me calling for a suspension here. A couple of weeks ago, Luke Shuey got a fine for a blatant trip on Ed Kerno. I went on the record and said he should have been given a week for he that. Should. So, he so if you, but if you look at the same week, Tom Lynch gets a sanction for, for shoving Alex Witherden's head into the turf, then... He got not one but two striking charges, one on uh, one on Collins for a, a gut punch. This stuff is just ridiculous. And he, he punched Michael Hurley in the throat. Yeah. Like, what does he have to do? Does he have to physically remove someone's arm with a hunting knife to get suspended? So I believe they're meeting as we record. So we don't know the outcome of that one, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens next week. Uh, and incidentally, the head push thing, I think I might have mentioned the wrong team. I think he might, I might have said it was against Port. But uh, there's been... There's, Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. There's been so many games back-to-back, they all kind of blur into one another. Hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll see what comes out of there. A couple of more COVID breaches, Stewie. Uh, well, actually, yeah, the same same one. So we had Port Adelaide duo Dan Houston and Peter Laddams in hot water for entertaining visitors at Laddams' house on August 3rd. Laddam got three matches. Houston got two. Porter fined $50,000. Given the punishment handed down to Elijah Taylor, Nath, how do you feel about this? Yeah, look, I mean, I guess in the WA rules are stricter. Though he was also breaching WA rules as well as as the league rules. But it's interesting. Mm. And then we thought we'd talk uh, briefly about some of our favourite Indigenous greats, which was only appropriate given we had the Indigenous round in the AFL, which was done spectacularly well. Named after Sir Doug Nichols, who... Uh, himself played 54 games for Fitzroy and was also the South Australian governor. So he had a very uh, impressive life. And uh, yeah, so I think for me personally, when I started following the Swans, it was all about Mickey O'Loughlin and the great Derek Kickett. Oh, D-Kick. My favorite, one of my favorite players of all time. Absolutely loved those silky smooth skills. And I actually remember a um, EJ Witten Legends game not a hell of a long time ago and his kicking was still absolutely precise. He was about 30 kegs over, you know, overweight. But his skills were... I I, I couldn't say anything about that as well. I'm I'm no beanpole. But uh, yeah, the skills were still absolutely silky smooth. So for me, Derek Kickett is one of my absolute favourites. Eddie Betts as well, big fan of his too. Look, I mean, for me, again, growing up as a as a young lad supporting the Eagles, you've got the likes of Chris Lewis and Peter Matera, um, but also looking at guys like Nicky Winmar, that iconic 
photo slash whatever you want to now I, a statue I, I, outside yeah. of the stadium. So, you know, such a, an amazing moment in the history of Indigenous football, having him do that. Guys like Byron Pickett, probably one of the most ferocious tacklers you would ever, ever see. Even going back past Michael Long to the likes of Polly Farmer and Barry Cable, guys that, that really laid the foundation for what is now, I, I guess, the Indigenous culture within the game. So, And of course, in our youth, Gavin Wanganeen won a Brownlow, Goodsy won a couple, of course, Swan, one of my favourites as well. Yep. And, I mean, we got to look at some of the guys in, in the present day. I mean, Lance Franklin, obviously, is a, an incredibly prominent player. Cyril Rioli, who only retired, what, a year or two ago. Sean Burgoyne, Paddy still Ryder. necking around. We could sit here and list them all day. There are just so many amazing players. But, um, yeah, really, really nice to see. And it almost would be nice to have more than one round. Yeah, why not? Why not? I, I, I'd love to see the Dreamtime at the G go to Dreamtime at the D for Darwin or Dreamtime at the T for at Territory. The T, but T it's never going to happen because they're not going to give away that money, especially no. after a year where they haven't made any money. Exactly. But uh, they have a couple. Yeah, and and the Indigenous jerseys were great too. Oh, they were brilliant. I love the GWS one. That was my favourite. Yeah, that was actually designed by one of their players as well. Oh, cool. So I, did I, not I know can't that. remember the name of it. I, Heard him say it yesterday. That's excellent, yeah. Yeah, one, okay. of, the, one of the younger players designed it. So. What's your favourite? Oh, God. I Honestly, I didn't really see enough of them. See, the, the GWS one was brilliant, though. It was really... That was one that definitely caught my eye. And look, obviously, it's not perfect. There's been some horrible trolling going online to people like Eddie Betts, who I mentioned before. Elijah Taylor, who we spoke about. He's, uh, he's Elijah cops Taylor, and cops, nasty yeah, stuff. And, you know, obviously, Adam Good's career was ended by excessive booing and by the way no one boos Tom Lynch every time he touches the ball but also St Kilda came out and said that Robert Muir had a really tough career and and the club and the players put and some spectators put him through some hell as well that was a nice acknowledgement of it's not easy to admit fault so we're slowly but surely you know heading in the right direction and then obviously you've got the artist formerly known as Harry O'Brien from Collingwood. Heredia Lumumba. Yep. So he's obviously had a lot to say about Collingwood's culture and some of the stuff that he went through at the club. So yeah, the next 18 to 24 months in this league is going to be fascinating. To well, watch. it's going to be really important and hopefully, you know, they do the right thing. I unfortunately didn't get to see the Dreamtime game because I was at the Swans Dockers game. But uh, I did see the call to country, which was which was fantastic. Mm. It was very rousing. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. That was amazing. And just quickly, before we talk about the round itself, Shui, uh, as far as the games are concerned, a couple of injuries. Yeah, just a, a couple this week. So in the Western Bulldogs-Melbourne game, Tom Sparrow went off with a shoulder or a collarbone. He took a massive hit from Marcus Bontempelli. It would have put most people on their backsides. So that wasn't great. Uh, Aaron Francis did a hamstring in the Essendon Richmond game, which we're about to speak about. Shane McAdam in the Adelaide Geelong game did a hamstring, and Jack Stephen took a late knock to the knee. Probably the really gruesome one, though, was from the West Coast GWS game. Callum Ward <laughs> had a nasty compound I fracture. No, well, I mean, yeah. it, it was brutal. So You're looking like Ian Healy. Yeah, his fingers all at a ridiculous angle. So yeah. that was a, a tackle near the boundary and a, a really nasty compound fracture. So, yeah, not too many, but one of them in particular, really horrible. Our spotlight game, Shuey, well, there can only be one, can't there? And unfortunately, not without controversy, but some nice moments too when Irving Mosquito kicked his first goal on debut. Richmond, 10 goals, 13-73, defeated Essendon Bombers, 10 goals, 1-61. Yeah, good kicking from the Bombers. Unfortunately, just not enough goals. But look, Dusty was Dusty in this game. A lazy 29 touches, 7 clearances, 9 score involvements, 9 inside 50s. 
you know, Shea Bolton, excellent. He was best on ground, apparently, with 28 disposals and a goal. Um, so he was he was listed with the Yukon medal, I believe it's pronounced, uh, for best of field. I think the big story in this game, though, 66 inside 50s to 24. Wow. One of the, the biggest... Disparities. Yeah, one of the biggest you'll probably see. So you'd really argue that the inaccuracy of Richmond is probably what kept the Bombers in touch. But, yeah, there were a few things that, that came out of this game. before. Well, I, get... I think, yeah, you talked about the inside 50s, but the biggest thing out of this game was... Uh... Well, well, I've actually got four questions, but I'll also defer back to you regarding just the blatant dive. Yeah, so Richmond were awarded a bogus free kick... Late in the game, McDonald Tip and Woody running towards goal, which he kicked, waved away because Dylan Grimes got apparently infringed against. Uh, I'll tell you what, watching the footy, uh, Trent Cotchen certainly touched him more than any Essendon player did. And if you said to me, oh, but Trent Cotchen barely touched him, Nath, that's my point exactly. Mm. He was barely touched. Tom Papley was blushing somewhere it was that bad. <laughs> Anyway, a few a few questions. So obviously, we had a look together at the the footage from Richard Fijo when he did that amazing introduction. I got goosebumps listening to that. I don't know how you felt. He was about fantastic. It. Yeah, he was uh, great energy, great passion. You know, it was a, it was one of the best welcome to countries I've seen, and great inclusiveness as well. Yep, absolutely. It was, it was it was great that in the midst of all of that, he still welcomed his his non indigenous friends and brothers into the game as well, which which I loved. Brothers so, and sisters yeah, and children. Sorry, and, sorry, and sisters. No. And the children in the, the traditional garb and yeah, it was yeah, fantastic. It was brilliant. Second question. You've mentioned him already. Is Irving Mosquito the coolest name the AFL has ever had? Yes. Eggmoller Smith, eat your heart out. That is the quickest <laughs> quickest response I've ever had to oh, I love question. it. It's a great name. It is brilliant. Now, third question. Dustin Martin and the fridge. Yes. So he had this little cool box behind there. It was, what, 28 degrees and the humidity up in Darwin's probably... Well, it was, tw- it was 28 for the Suns and Blues. I don't actually know what it was for the Bombers and Richmond, but it would have been bloody hot. It doesn't change in Yeah, yeah, no. It would have been hot and, mm. and stinky... Yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on giving them the fridge? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? As long as both teams have access to it behind their bench, I personally don't have a problem with it, but I don't know if that was actually the case or not. I just think so. it's weird. You've had guys that have had the ice jackets with... Obviously had the, the ones where people put the, the little ice pack on the back of their people neck. People sitting in front of fans. I just think the fridge is too much. Yeah. I think it's too much. I I don't know. My my view is always as long as both teams get the benefit of it, I don't have a problem. True. Yeah. And the fourth one, which we've already spoken about, how did Tom Lynch not get suspended? It can be rhetorical. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know. This should have been the week, surely. But and unfortunately, Dylan Grimes has received death threats, and that's after mm. the Bombers fans gave Callum Ward death threats. So do the Bombers fans lead the league in death threats? Mm, do the math on that. Mm, mm. And look, we don't condone them. It was a horrible dive. It was a horrible umpiring decision. It was a horrible call. But we shouldn't be giving people death threats. Well, Jack Noons hasn't had death threats from the Fremantle fans for taking a kick that he shouldn't have last week. We don't don't know that for sure, but uh, it hasn't been reported. I guarantee. (laughs) No, look, it's it's disgusting. And and any fans out there, I'm sure no one listening to this would be those sorts of people, but if you are, pull your head in. As I mentioned before, in a... Stinking 28 degrees, the Blues, 7 goals, 18-60, defeated the Suns, 4 goals, 3-27. The news out of this one seems to be that the Suns have run out of steam. Well and truly. And it goes back to a stat I gave you a little while ago that the last three years they've been 3-2, and two, and they've gone, I think, 2-36, and 36, or it's probably now like 2-40 and 40 in the games after that. So they tend to start off strong and then just down the, down the gurgler. 
very greasy conditions, I, I believe, up there in terms of obviously the humidity, but an all-out smashing, which, yeah, probably should have been worse given the 25 scoring shots to 7. 54 inside 50s to 26, so not quite as lopsided as the, the other game, but still pretty bad. Plus 94 in possessions and plus 41 in uncontested. Mark Murphy, best on ground for me. One of the really cool things, though, I liked about this, though, was Eddie Betts and Isaac Rankin swapping jerseys after the game. Mm. We've seen a lot of that in the NBA in recent years with players going on their retirement tours. but And it's often done after... Championships or World Cups yep. or things like that. Yeah, yeah. true. I, I love this. I, I'm sure you're probably... It's, oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Because they get memorabilia from other players. It's fantastic. And so great, obviously, with you know Eddie Betts being one of, I guess, one of our generation's older players. Well, and I'm passing Rankin, the torch, yeah. Isaac Rankin being one of these new up-and-comers. And it's, both mercurial kind of goal sneak, you know, great yeah. skilled. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a nice touch. I, I saw most... I saw, I, saw, I saw a decent amount of the game, but I didn't see the end. So I didn't see that, unfortunately. But mm. yeah, Carlton... Carlton had it in control Just, from... Day one, basically. Too, too good. Yeah. A six-goal unanswered stretch in the third helped the Dogs. 12 goals, 8-80 defeat the Ds. Seven goals, 10-52. So 26 touches, eight tackles for Jack McRae. He was brilliant again. But yeah, not a massive wow stat, but in every game that Melbourne have lost this season, they've lost the third quarter. Mm. So even in their massive wins against Adelaide and Collingwood, they only won those third quarters by seven and two points respectively. So mm. the third quarters are a huge issue for the Ds, and it's unfortunately probably derailed their entire season. So maybe a focal point for Simon Goodwin and the Ds to really brace and just put that foot down after halftime. And you said a good cracking game from McRae, who wasn't picked at the start of the season. So it's good to see him actually playing for mm. the Dogs. Oh, he's been sensational in recent times. Chad Wingard didn't have a great return to his old team. The Hawks going down to the power in a somewhat of a nail-biter. Nine goals, 14-68 to 9-4-58. So a monster game from Travis Boak. 33 touches and, and a real monster play in the last couple of minutes with that silver platter service from uh, from Scotty Lysette. Great tap. Basically handed the ball to Zane oh, Butters to, to run through. I was so impressed with Hawthorne turning up though and playing the way that they did. So undermanned. So really, the the big question for me out of this game, though, we used to joke about free kick Hawthorne, but twenty to eight and fourteen to nothing after halftime—that's just not right, is it? Like in a close game, too. Surely you can't go an entire quarter, let alone an entire no. half, without no. committing one free kick. No. I, I was actually probably even more surprised to hear Alistair Clarkson just brush it off as swings and roundabouts of the game. Well, I don't know, maybe because the season's done, he's not as animated as if he was in the top four, perhaps. Mm, yeah, I wonder how that would have gone if it was an elimination final exactly. or something like that. Exactly. And by the way, speaking of Irving Mosquito, I believe he might have been in the Hawks uh, Development uh, Academy. Oh. So they might have missed a trick there. Mosquito got away. Yeah, yep, yep, that's yep. right. There you go. Oh dear, I was at this one and it wasn't great for my boys. Seven goals, eight fifty. the Dockers handily defeated the Swans, two goals, seven nineteen. Yes, obviously a hideous night for the Swans, and albeit in shortened quarters, this was the lowest score the Swans have ever kicked as the Sydney Swans. <laughs> you knew what I was going to say. Of course, you, I, I know. You knew I was going to play the shortened quarter card. Of cut. course, but the, the lowest in the combined Swans and South Melbourne franchise since 1971, which was the last time they only kicked two goals in a game as well. Look, full credit to Frio's defence. They were stifling all night. Luke Ryan looks like an absolute lock for an All-Australian spot, surely. And one medal for best on, on, on field. He's playing brilliantly. By the way, Tabena would be a sneaky All-Australian uh, pick at the moment too. Now the only player in the league to have kicked a goal in every game, Finlayson was the other I didn't mention last week. Mm. So so now that's, that's very, very true. It seems like Justin Longmuir has taken some really good parts of Ross Lyon's blueprint and he's got it working properly. Fremantle, they give up the fewest points per game in the league. 
Now, this was done before Geelong's game, so I apologise if the numbers are slightly out, but 52.9 points a game for Freo and 53.4 for Geelong before their, their last game. So they would have probably dropped slightly because they only gave up 37 to the Crows. But they are one botched series of calls away from knocking on the door of the top eight Freeman. So they're playing brilliantly right now. Oh, mate, they're, they're, a, they're a couple of balls spitting the wrong way being in the top, you know, being around fifth. Mm. Yeah. I've got a few notes, so this is all, almost all kind of non-game related, but because I was, you know, it's a very rare occurrence that a Swans fan living in Perth can see their team twice live in the space of two, or kind of two rounds. We technically had a bye, but they're, mm. you know, basically well, two in, weeks. In, in two weeks, we'll say. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. There's a complete lack of hand sanitizer around the stadium. Ah. That's, I mean, that's an interesting observation to me. So by now, originally by now, we were meant to have a full stadium, but they kind of wound that back when things were going a bit funny in other states beyond Victoria and New South Wales or beyond Victoria. Um, so that was interesting. I think we could maybe have a bit more hand sanitizer around the place, guys. Um, and... <laughs> One of my favourite. So there were these kids behind us. They, they can't have been at more than six or seven, I reckon. And one of them uh, straight away was like, that was a 15 metres. That was about five. So yes, six or seven year olds have a better concept of distance than AFL umpires do. <laughs> Are you smarter than a first grader? Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, kids. Thank you for working out what the umpires can't. Quality. Now I've got a question for you as well. Zero goals three from the two games in Perth for Tom Papley. And probably one of the dumbest free kicks you'd ever see throwing the ball. At oh, that was head. terrible. Where is he all of a sudden? He's just... Well, it's interesting. Off. So he started in the middle. And maybe because he had that quiet game... I was surprised to see him in the middle. He started in the middle maybe because he had that quiet game against GWS. The other thing I was surprised to see Joey Kennedy... Or Josh Kennedy is his name technically, but he's known as Joey... Joey Kennedy uh, running around, and he definitely looked underdone, so I wonder if we rushed him back. But he's that sort of player. He wants to be out there. But yeah, no, Papley's definitely had a couple of quiet weeks, and and, uh, yeah, it's a shame after a good start to the season. But yes, please stop doing stupid dick acts, Tom. Mm. Why why must you do that? Mm. Really? Speaking of the Cats before, Shui, they won their fourth straight, nine goals, 11-65, defeating the Crows, five goals, 7-37. Another week, another tease from the Crows. Yeah, the, the score definitely isn't an indication of how close this game was. It was only a nine-point game at three-quarter time. Unfortunately, a three-goal-to-nothing final term was enough for the Cats. I don't really have anything more for the game, except I really like the look of Shane McAdam. Unfortunately, he did his, uh, did his hamstring, but I'm actually going to make a call and say he, he's going to be the next Gavin Wanganoon. Hey, all right. Watch he's, this he's got, he's got that sort of feel to him. While we're making calls, Stewie, I'm going to put you on the spot. Ooh. Who's your premiership pick? So... I've, I gave my NBA and AFL picks in, in episode one and two in June. Ah, yes. We're at the end of August now. You're going to have to pony up some picks, mate. Look, I will... For AFL. We'll I do will, NBA when we get to NBA. I will happily say that I picked the GWS Giants to win it at the start of the season. It was looking okay for a couple of weeks, and unfortunately, they've just fallen off a cliff. They've been very up and down. At this stage, yeah, I might have to jump on the Geelong bandwagon. With oh, you, let's go with my pick. All no, right. well, look, I mean, Brisbane aren't kicking the ball well enough in front of goals. West Coast... Are probably the only, the other team. I, I don't want to say it out loud though because you don't want to jinx <laughs> it. But no, look, Port Adelaide again, and and they haven't they, been convincing the last couple of weeks. Haven't been so amazing, they. and and there's potentially one or two other teams that could be close. But I think it's probably between yeah between Geelong, Port, and West Coast at this stage. Lions once again woeful in front of the sticks, but managed to eke a victory against the Saints. Six goals, fourteen fifty, defeating the Saints. Seven goals, six forty eight. 
Yeah, it seems the rest of the footy world's actually starting to catch up on this about Brisbane not kicking well. Sadly, the only miss that mattered was the one from Zach Jones with a couple of minutes left that allowed the Lions to stay ahead. This is their third win by less than a goal in the last six games after beating North Melbourne by a point last week and Melbourne by four about a month ago. I just know that they'll play the Eagles in a final and kick 14 goals four or something <laughs> stupid. But um, Cool stat, though. St Kilda won the bounces 12-0. <laughs> Oh, and speaking of your Eagles, mate, they won their eighth straight game, enjoying the home cooking here before they head over to far north Queensland. Once again, 9 goals, seven sixty one to the Giants, seven seven forty nine. I was surprised the margin was as close as it was because when I stopped watching, the Eagles were ahead comfortably. Yes, another not-so-clinical performance by the Eagles. Four points is four points at this stage, though, and eight on the trot for the Eagles, as you mentioned. Yeah, very disappointing final quarter for, for me and, and certainly one that kind of worries me ahead of a game against the Tigers next week. But yeah, real training drill in the first quarter. GWS just worked their way back in the game. Um, what was crazy to me though, Toby Green and Jeremy Cameron were both goalless and they were basically non-factors in this game. So, But yet yeah, a few more minutes and GWS might have actually been able to run over the top of us. So it was it, very interesting. For, for us, great to see some younger players making a name for themselves. Xavier O'Neill kicked a goal in his first game. Brendan Archie continues his rise with a couple of majors. And for GWS, Jake Riccardi had two in his debut. He looked really, really good. And no relation to Peter, by the way. No, well, he'll uh, but he'll probably actually keep Finlayson out of the out of the side, I think. So. And then finally tonight, we didn't see this one, but uh, the Pies handed the Kangaroos a pretty comprehensive victory. 10 goal, 565 to 5535. Could this be Steel Sidebottom's last game of the season? Yes, well, he's... Uh, he's heading back to Melbourne because I think his wife just gave birth. Yeah, yeah. So, so With the Pies struggling potentially to make the top eight, he may not play again. Mm. We shall see. If you have a question for the Sport Blokes, email them sportblokes at gmail.com or find them on Twitter at sportblokes. Please also like, rate and subscribe. Tell your friends. Some quick cricket news, Stewie, before we get into our basketball, which let's face it, that's what we want to kind of sink our teeth into. But some great news for Australia's Lisa Staleka, who's been inducted into the Hall of Fame, along with Jacques Callas, one of the greatest all-rounders of all time. And run machines are here, Abbas. Fantastic. Good, good for Lisa. You've got some news on the women's squad, speaking of Lisa. Yeah, so they've announced uh, some stuff. Finally, we're going to get some games for the for the women's team. So they've announced a, a series of three T20s and three ODIs versus New Zealand uh, around September, October. So the T20s will all be at North Sydney Oval and the ODIs will be in Townsville, Cairns and the Gold Coast. So all around, around Queensland, which is good. Uh, and then late January, we'll have Canberra, Melbourne and Hobart hosting three ODIs versus India. So the squad has been announced. Now, Elise Perry has been given every chance to be fit to play. Yeah, so she's got a little asterisk next to her, speaking of asterisks. So she's in the squad if she can get up to uh, to play. No WA players, I noticed. No, well, I mean, I guess Nicole Bolton's probably the only one that I would maybe think should have been a, a good chance. She's definitely the, the most curious omission for me, but I guess if they're playing the same ODI and T20 squad, she hasn't played a T20I since 2016, so wow. maybe they're looking at that and saying that's that's probably the, the way to go. But yeah, Perry, definitely the big one. She is so far ahead of Stephanie Taylor for best all-rounder in the world, so if she can play, we're a good chance of winning all three of those series. So I guess moving across to England, we've got an update in the third test between the Poms and Pakistan. Yes, that's right. England's packed test schedule has continued. So they had a massive first innings, eight declared for 5-8-3. Uh, Zach Crawley had a 267. Oh, yes, everyone's favourite wiki, uh, Joss Butler, had a 152. Wokes chimed in for a 40 as well. 
Uh, well, there's not much to talk about with the wicket takers there, I don't think. Pakistan didn't put up enough of a fight. They managed 273, Azhar Ali scoring more than half the runs with 141. Everyone else failing, really. Uh, Jimmy Anderson had 5 for 56. Pakistan then had to follow on. They're currently none for 41. And what do you guess? Yeah, a wet outfield. So it might be Pakistan's only hope. A wet outfield. Of losing the series 1-0. Well, sorry. Our only hope of not losing this match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of not going down 2-0. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 series, the is series is gone. I've actually noticed something that might be a little bit of a blueprint of sorts for beating England in a series. Oh, yes. So across the two series that they've had against Pakistan and the West Indies, England have had 10 innings so far. In six of those, including all four against Pakistan, England have lost their fourth wicket on 127 or less. So not amazing in terms of in terms of runs on the board. Mm-hmm. And twice more against the West Indies, they were three for 81 and three for 90. So it's the lower order partnerships that have won matches for England. So get this. First test, first innings versus the Windies. Four for 71 and then five for 87. Then a 67 run partnership from Stokes and Butler. It doesn't sound like much, but it allowed England to make over 200 when they probably should have been all out for about 130. No, a 60-run partnership can be quite handy, and it takes up a lot of time too. The bowlers get tired. So, yep. no, you never underestimate a 60-run partnership with tail order. Yep. So, then we move on to the second test, the first innings versus the Windies, 3 for 81, and then a 260-run partnership from Sibley and Stokes. Third test, first innings versus the Windies, 4 for 122, and then a 140-run partnership from Pope and Butler. First test, first innings versus Pakistan, 4 for 62, and then a 65-run partnership from Pope and Butler. It just keeps going on and on and on. I think Joss Butler might have actually been listening to our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely don't piss off Joss Butler. Because in those in those 10 innings, there have been six partnerships that have effectively saved the Poms in, in one way or another. Five of those six have involved Butler. Mm. So as weird as it sounds, you might actually have to focus your plan around him and... Those four for 120s need to then be all out 170, 180. That's that's the way to, to get around it. So in the last Ashes, Butler was out 10 times, five times to Cummins, twice to Siddle, twice to Hazelwood, and then a run out as well. So he's susceptible to good nagging lines early with the occasional bumper. That's the way to go. Resist the urge to go at him with spin because he plays spin well. And that's Bob's your uncle, basically. Yeah, well, yes. I won't be rubbishing him again anytime soon. No, he's, he's brilliant. He's Don Bradman. <laughs> and now... This week in sport history. On the 19th of August 1951, Bill Veek from the St. Louis Browns sends Eddie Gadel, a three foot seven little person, to pinch hit. He was walked on four pitches as a result of a very, very small strike zone. (laughs) No surprise there. On the 20th of August 1980, New York Yankee Bob Watson hit the Seattle Kingdome speaker for the second straight day. So not once, but twice. And one of those things you couldn't do if you tried a hundred times. Not but... quite the same as hitting the same fan twice. And yeah, the yeah, same I was thinking of that too from but, last uh, week. But still impressive. 22nd of August, 1930. Australian regained the Ashes on day six of the fifth cricket test. What? Back when we had timeless tests. <laughs> on the 23rd of August, 1988, Mike Tyson and Mitch Green brawl at 4am in Harlem. What a delightful starting time that is. <laughs> uh, I would assume that's an unofficial brawl. Oh, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Don't think that was about I'm, for points. I'm, I'm reading that as a sanctioned fight, but obviously not. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. You never know. And then finally on the 24th of August 2018 in the French Open, uh, they banned Serena Williams' Nike black cat suit from future tournaments, citing respect for the game and the place. And the fans. Well, some people might have liked it. This Week in Sport History. 
So before we get our teeth stuck into the beginning of the NBA playoffs, Stewie, the NBL free agency signings are starting to get a bit less as the teams are starting to take shape. Very, very scarce. So probably the big one for the week was the Adelaide 36ers have signed combo guard Donald Sloan, a former Indiana Pacer, Cleveland Cavalier and Brooklyn Net to a one-year deal from Baskets Bonn in the German League. He's a flat-out scorer, great handle. He's a big-time pickup for the Sixers. So uh, we, we shall see how the rest of their starting five works around him. Moving on to the Cairns Taipans, another rough week for the Snakes with reigning defensive player of the year, DJ Nubel signing with Osaka Avisa in the Japanese league. I guess they're going to go all in with Scott Machado and Cam Oliver re-signing. So. To be honest, those are the two of the three I'd pick and we're only allowed two imports this season. So, Might have been nice if one of them or both of them had signed before that happened. Yeah, well, yeah. Cairns will be sweating in. those ones. And speaking of players being released, Melbourne United have had the forced release of Casey Prather. So I know a lot of teams around the league will be looking to pick him up. I can see your you've just your ears have sort of why a forced release? I didn't hear this. Well, because they've they've got too many imports. Oh, so it's the two things. All right, Nathan, we've finally reached the part of the episode that we've been championing the bit for the NBA. Yeah. We'll start off. You've got a little bit of information on the Maso Ujiri incident. Yeah, so this is a bit of a it's a bit of a sad and weird one, really. Um, I think it's good that Masai has been vindicated. So for those that don't know, a sheriff's deputy was. Uh, I guess running security at the championship um, game that eventually Toronto won and therefore won the NBA championship. And what's happened is he's pushed Masai Ujiri twice and then Ujiri's retaliated and he's tried to sue him for the retaliation. And if I'm not mistaken, it was actually his own body cam footage that showed that he in fact caused the the stoush. It was actually worse than that. He shoved him twice, grabbed him by the suit jacket, and told him to, quote, back the fuck off. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Good good deputying there. It's, yeah, it's Police in America, um, yeah, they really uh, do themselves proud, don't they? But uh, Doc Rivers uh, had a nice little quote there. A man is at the top, the pinnacle of his career at that moment, walking out onto the floor to celebrate with his team that they just won the NBA championship, and he had to be reminded once again what his colour was, and it's just so sad. So it was a sad, uh, a sad uh, story, but it's good that Messiah was was vindicated. And by the way, he has been the best executive in the league for a long time now. Mm. I think it's fair to say. Yep. He has built some very good teams. Quick news in the NBA draft lottery. So look, we won't get into this too much. Not only because the playoffs are in full swing now, but also we'll sink our teeth into it closer to the actual draft itself. But the Minnesota Timberwolves climbed, so they will be picking first. Golden State got the second pick. Uh, Charlotte third, Chicago fourth, Cleveland fifth, Atlanta sixth, Detroit seventh, and the Knicks eighth. To round out our non-bubble teams. Of course, the Knicks finish eighth. (laughs) Yes, of course. So they actually dropped. That was lower than their their, uh, odds. Yeah, a couple of cool things out of the draft lottery. So Minnesota took out the number one pick for the second time in their history, Carl Anthony Towns in 2015. We joked about the Spurs getting somewhere near 14. Unfortunately, they did get 11th, which was pretty much... Well, no, as I said, that was as low as they could go. Yeah, that was kind of what we thought. Yeah. More random bubble thoughts? Yeah, I've got three this week. So um, one of them, I was watching a Celtics game and I noticed somebody wearing a green Celtics-coloured shirt in game one of the Boston-Philly series that said, Coaching Change. Oh... Now, I don't know if that's a dig at Brad Stevens must or, be. or if he's just saying, you, you need to get rid of Brett Brown, but I'm wearing green because I'm a Celtics supporter. But that was a very interesting yeah, one. I don't know what that's all about. That is interesting. And I've noticed two different things. They're minute things, but things that, that annoy me. 
the thickened lines on the boundary of the court. On the baseline. Oh, yeah, the, the, the entire boundary. Around. You're I right. Don't yeah. Know why? But it just pisses me off that that's the that's the case. And the sound that the ball makes when players are shooting free throws. Wow. Have a listen to it next time you watch one of their games. It sounds like the sort of sound effect you'd have heard on the old Lakers versus Celtics basketball game from the late '80s. It is, it's just hideous. The one, the the weird one for me is um, I noticed uh, when I was watching the game three of the Thunder and Rockets last night where they broke the fourth wall. So we see the virtual fans on three of the four sides of the court, so to speak. Mm. We don't normally see what's on the other side. But I noticed there's actually a big screen showing the game. And it must be so surreal for them to be playing the game and at eye level, right next to them, is the very game they're playing. Wow. I would find I that not, distracting. I did not see that. That yeah. is very weird. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. So yeah, we need, we, this is a standing item because we see new things every, every week, don't mm. we? Um, so quick roundup of the playoffs so far. I think we decided that we'd... Uh, We'll do the East. Cause Start the, with the East. The West is way more exciting, yeah. so we'll do all the, the fun stuff second. So Bucks and Magic, Orlando 122 defeated Milwaukee 110 in a surprise. Uh, Vucevic, uh, who you said should have been in the all-bubble team, and we weren't far off. The only difference was they put they managed to sneak Harden in and have no centre mm-hmm. in the official one. He had a career-high 35 points and 14 rebounds. Orlando were 14-point underdogs. Jarvis had 31, 17, and 7, but no field goals in the final 11 minutes. In Game 2, Milwaukee 111, steadied the ship, defeating Orlando 96. Jarvis with 28 points and 20 boards. Vucevic had 32. Game 3, Milwaukee 121, defeated Orlando 107. Uh, Antetokounmpo this time had 35, 11, and 7. The Bucks shot 56 from the field. That's Ante Tokatomatu to you. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> now, look, Orlando got one of the, the games that I was, I was expecting. I didn't think it would be game one, but I, I thought they were going to get one game, and they, they did. So, Giannis, as you said, he's done everything he can. He's averaging 31, 16, and 6. He's shooting 55 from the field, 40% from three as well. The Magic got game one because Vooch went off and he had a bit of support as well. So Milwaukee have gone at least 11 deep in every game, though, which is probably about right based on their regular season. They're going to be fresh for the Heat, assuming Orlando doesn't pull off some miracle and win three more games. So I think this is probably still going to end up as, as Bucks in five. But Yeah, I don't, I, we don't need to dwell on this one too much. <laughs> not, this not at is all. probably the least interesting series apart from that game one upset. I don't think they'll drop another one. Nah. Raptors and Nets, this one's already over. This one's equally nearly not as interesting. So in game one, Toronto 134 defeated Brooklyn 110. Fred Van Fleet had 30 and 11 to become the first Raptor ever to have a 30-point, 10-assist playoff game. Game two, Toronto 104-199, a bit closer. Nurse started Pascal Siakam at centre, which is an interesting sign mm. of things to come. Van Fleet had 24-10. and 10. In game three, they won 127-92. to 92. Siakam had 26. Toronto's 3-0 lead now leaves only Minnesota and the Clippers as the other NBA franchises to never hold a 3-0 lead in either a best of seven or a best of five playoff series. And then game four, Toronto today, 150 defeated Brooklyn, 122. They did it very easily, and it's not all that surprising given how undermanned Brooklyn are. Yeah, well, no Jamal Crawford, there's no Nets, really. (laughs) Um, I'm really surprised about that 30-10 stat with Fred Van Vliet. You'd have thought Lowry would have had something along those lines or someone... Down, yeah, Even maybe Vince on a good night. Potentially, you know, maybe yeah. not. Kawhi was never a big assist guy. He only played there one season. Mm. But yeah, even Bosch might have had a few games for Edmonton. 
true, yeah. true. But no, exactly as planned for the Nets. A bit of a testing game too, but a pretty straightforward series otherwise. But more importantly, they're getting big games from a number of players. You've already mentioned Freddie Van Vliet and what he did. But Sergio Barker had 22 off the bench in Game 1. Norm Powell had 24 off the bench in Game 2. Siakam had 26 in, in Game 3 and another 20 from Ibaka off the bench. So Lowry, Gasol and Ananobi haven't really done that much and it hasn't mattered. Yeah, well, that's look out everyone else then, isn't it? Well, I mean, Lowry's injured, so we'll see how that and, goes. And but... Ananobi is a great defender, so that's what that's the best thing he brings to the table. Yeah, so we can put a tick next to that one. We both nailed that one with Raptors in four. Speaking of four, the Celtics have already handled the 76ers. A lot can happen in a week. Game one, Boston 109 defeated Philadelphia 101. Jason Tatum had a career-high 32 and 13 rebounds. Unfortunately, Gordon Hayward did an ankle with a few minutes left in the game. Game two, Boston 128 defeated Philly 101. Embiid had 34 and 10 for Philly. This time, Jason Tatum had another career playoff high with 33. In game three, Boston won 102-94. Kemba Walker had 24 points, and the Celtics closed with a 10-0 run in another close game there. Embiid had 30 and 13, but only 8 and 3 in the second half, so he really tailed off there. And then finally today, Boston 110, Philly 106. So a lot of, or a couple of close games there, but Boston handled them quite easily without Ben Simmons. Game 4 actually wasn't as close as that, to be honest, but I think a couple of things for me. So Al Horford, in the first three games, 6, 4, and 6. Just not enough from him. Tobias Harris, 15, 13, and 15 in those first three games at 32% from the field. So not even enough points, but obviously a horrible clip as well. The Ben Simmons loss is just so much more than the numbers you see on a box score. So too much firepower for Boston. Tatum, Brown, and Walker were exceptional. But yeah, what does this Gordon Hayward ankle sprain mean for the next round against Toronto? Oh, it's huge. It really... I mean, I would probably pick Toronto anyway. It definitely points the needle even more in favour of the Raptors. Well, I mean, I'm going Raptors in six. That's my my early prediction. So Hayward definitely won't be coming back. They're saying four weeks. I actually think it could be longer than that. And he's made of glass, isn't he? Mm. He's another one of those blokes. It's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, you know, signed that massive contract a few years back and then did a... Uh, what was his knee? Or he, broke, he broke his knee against his, Cleveland yeah, on that alley like yeah. Game two? No, game, game one. It was, it was like, first game. It was like eight minutes into the oh, season. Oh, man. Yeah, that's terrible. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll say Raptors in six as well. I yep. think Jason Tatum's been magnificent, and uh, you know they still have a pretty good team even without Haywood. Mm-hmm. Kemba's coming back. So, yeah, I'll say Raptors in six as well. Cool. And then finally in the East, uh, Pacers and Heat. So Miami 113 defeated Indiana 101 in game one. Speaking of guys made of glass... Indiana lost Victor Oladipo to an eye injury late in the first quarter. And ironically, this was just as his minutes restriction from a previous knee injury had been lifted. Game 2, Miami 109 defeated Indiana 100. Duncan Robertson hit his first six shots, all of them three. Oladipo did come back, though, and had 22, so that was good for him. Then in Game 3, Miami 124 defeated Indiana 115. Jimmy Butler had a 27. Malcolm Brodkin with 34 and 14 assists for the Pacers. Heat had 74 at halftime. TJ Warren's uh, been playing okay, but he certainly lost the fire he had in those eight bubble playing games. It actually looks like the Heat are probably going to sweep at this stage. So I got the numbers slightly wrong, but I was I feel like I was pretty right about the bench outplaying them. It's, it's not been a smashing, but they've outscored the Pacers by double digits in two of the three games so far. 52 free throws in game three for Miami, though. 52. Mm. That is insane. Mm. And especially for a jump shooting team like them, that is a lot. But yeah, going back to TJ Warren, I mean, yeah, what is up with him right now? He's still playing okay. He's averaging 19.6 a game through these three, but 
he went from 31 points a game in the six games he played in the bubble down to that. Jeez, the Pacers could have used those extra 11 points a game. Well, do you know what? Jimmy Butler wasn't defending him in those six games. This is true. And, and as, as we spoke about last week, Jimmy loves the challenge, you know. So if ever there was a guy to put out the fire, it was going to be Jimmy Butler, yep. I think. Lakers and Blazers. Now, we need to talk about this. In Game 1, Portland 100 defeated LA 93. Damian Lillard had 34 points. LeBron had 23, 17, and 16. His postseason career high for assists at 16. Remarkably, both eights beat ones. Yeah, the first time in 17 years that both of them, and only the second time ever, ever yeah. since they went to an, uh, a seven-game series in, I think it was 1984. So, yeah, it's, it's not often that it happens. Lakers steady the ship in game two, 111, defeating Portland 88. LeBron had quite a, uh, sorry. LeBron had a very quiet game statistically, but AD had 31 and 11 after shooting 8 of 24 in game one. And then in game three, the Lakers 116, defeated the Blazers 108. James this time had a big game 38 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. Uh, Davis had 23 of his 29 points in the second half. Dame had 34 again, this time with a dislocated left index finger, but it is on his non-shooting hand. So currently the Lakers up 2-1 in that series. Yep. So that game that you mentioned for LeBron in Game 1, the the first time in playoff history a player's had 20-plus points, 15-plus rebounds, and 15-plus assists in the same game. So pretty cool. I'm not sure what was worse in that, though. The 5 from 32 from 3 or the 7 of 26 in transition. Mm. That's the most misses since Second Spectrum started tracking that stat in 2013-14 in a game, of any game. So, yeah, it's look. It's still looking like the Lakers are going to win this. What worries me for the Blazers, though, is Yusuf Nurkic. He's 12 of 31 in the series at under 39% from the field. He's a career 49% shooter, so he's way down. And that's after playing quite well in the playing games as well. Exactly. He's, he's just not doing enough. He's not going hard enough to the basket. He's putting too much pressure on Lillard and McCollum, and it's it's looking bleak for them. Game and McCollum's four, playing with a dud back. Exactly. So he doesn't need any more pressure on his back. Collins still isn't playing. Well, he's out for the season now. Oh, so they've called that. They've called that? it, there yeah. So, so game four, really, it's do or die for them. They lose tomorrow. The series will be over fairly quickly, I think. Could happen. Could happen. It could. In what is unquestionably the most uh, exciting series so far... The Clippers and Mavericks. So in Game 1, the LA Clippers 118 defeated Dallas 110. Doncic broke the record for playoff debut with 42 points to go along with his 9 assists and 7 rebounds. But controversy as Porzingis was ejected after two questionable techs early in the third quarter. In Game 2, Dallas 127, Clippers 114. The Mavs' first playoff win since 2016. Doncic still impressive in spite of being banged up and in foul trouble in the second half. Game 3, the Clippers 130 defeated Dallas 122. Kawhi had 36, 9, and 8. Porzingis, 34, and 13. Already banged up, Doncic left the game with a sprained ankle, though still managed a triple-double. And then today, Dallas on a Doncic game winner, 135, defeated the Clippers, 133. That series looking salivatingly tied up at 2-all. Yep. So so fitting that Doncic would hit such a crazy fadeaway shot on Kobe Bryant's 42nd birthday. Mm. You could almost hear him shouting, Kobe, as mm. he put it up. Mm. This has been one of the most amazing series that I've seen. It's right up there with the Boston versus Chicago series from a few years back. Oh, that was a cracker. Had about 15 overtimes. We're showing our age. I think that's more than a few years ago. Well, (laughs) mid-2000s, I'd suggest. That's like 15 years. I say a few, but... Yeah, yeah, look, we'll start off with the ejection of Porzingis in Game 1. That was rubbish. Yeah. The first first tech was probably there. The second one, he was just trying to break something up, and he gets teed up for it. And hey, Dallas might be up 3-1, and your pick might be looking pretty good if it weren't for 
after that. Dallas were up five at that point. Yeah, so yeah. Definitely a, a huge one. Um, going on from that 42 points that Doncic had in the first playoff game, he also had 70 through two games, which was a record. I actually heard that might be wrong. It might be George Mikan. Ah, okay. So we've got unverified stuff unverified from the 1950s. Stats. Yeah, Mike Wilbon on PTI corrected Frank Isola. I listened to it today, actually, ah, while I was at work. Okay. Yeah, so we'll have to look at that one, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, assuming that's wrong, then, um, Lou Alcindor back, back then had 69, so see how that uh, how that all goes. But yeah, today, no Porzingis, 43, 17, and 13 from Doncic was just insane. He became the youngest player ever to hit a playoff game winner. And Mike Breen had the second double bang that he's ever had. If people that, that don't listen to him, he has this iconic line where he yells out bang when someone hits a big shot. But Steph Curry hit a three against OKC a few years ago and he gave it two bangs. It was that good. This one was right up there. So Dallas actually were down 21 in this game. Yes, as well. I know. I saw that. Yeah. So what I think has been great, though, is he's actually been getting some good support off the bench. Trey Burke's been getting to the rim at will. Seth Curry's been lights out in the series. He's not quite 18 points a game, as I said. <laughs> he's not far off, though. He had 22 in one of the games. I think that was in game three, and he's had a, a 15 and a 14. So he's pretty close. And Big Boban, he's been fantastic oh, as we well. Love so, we um, love Boban. Can I make a bold prediction that's probably not all that bold? Do it. Doncic to win MVP before he turns 25. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. That's that gives him four years. It's not a gimme, but you think he should. Yeah, you yeah. think he should. Yeah, as you mentioned, Kawhi's been exceptional. He's had some decent support from Lou Williams, but where is Paul George? Paul George has been shooting terribly. This is what he does. Though. He did this last year with, with the uh, the Thunder, unfortunately. So Yeah, no, he's had a couple of really bad games, but overall shooting at a really bad clip the whole series. 11.3 points a game at 21% from the field in the last three games. Yeah, yep. So they need him. I stand by this. I think the, I think the Clippers are going to be rolled in the first round. Yeah, well, time will tell. Time will tell. Now, the Clippers were my NBA pick. Who's your NBA pick, mate? And again, I made this in June. Yeah, no, I was I was saying the Lakers then. I'm saying the Lakers right, now. Fair call. I'll stick with that. Fair call. It's. I mean, it's not a bold pick. I mean, they, they're stacked. But they are missing Rondo as well, so. Could be coming back soon, actually. Time will tell with that one. Rockets and Thunder. Game 1, Houston 113. Defeated OKC 108. Harden had 37. And the Rockets bench had 42. In Game 2, Houston 111. Defeated OKC 98. Rockets made 19 of an NBA record 56 three-point attempts. It was really a tale of two halves for OKC. They actually led by six at halftime, shooting 50%, but then only had 39 points in the second in the second half. Uh, in Game 3, OKC defeated Houston 119-107 uh, to 107 in OT. I watched this one last night, as I mentioned. Schroeder was excellent with 29. Chris Paul had 26. Harden fouled out a minute into OT, and it was all over from there, basically. It was one of those weird ones where you see the scoreline and you go, really? Did that go to OT? But as soon as Harden was fouled out, it was game over. Game, uh, oh, and that's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, this series, I don't know, it comes down to either one or two players. Dennis Schroeder, obviously, is huge. His games one and two were subpar. OKC lost both of them. Game three, he's brilliant, and we win. Pretty simple. The death lineup with Schroeder, Paul, and Gilgis Alexander, they're the only chance the Thunder have. And it's it's always easier when Harden fouls out, obviously. He's been really tough to keep out of the lane, and he's averaging nearly 11 free throws a game. But I will say this. Lugans Dort seems like the only player with the quickness and the size to stay with Harden to this point. You saw this game? Game I, three? I did, yep. Dort defended him absolutely magnificently. And Lou Dort is one of the great names in the NBA, speaking of great names. pretty cool. We've run out of Dort license plates. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he he he's an excellent one-on-one defender and he did a terrific job but he shoots too many threes I've got three really cool things to say about Dort though 
Harden shoots his lowest percentage against anyone in the league versus Dort. Mm. 5 of 34 for 14.7%. So that is an amazing stat to start things off. Lou Dort also runs the hardest on defense in relation to his average speed on offense in the entire league. Mm. How random is that? Yeah, we love the random stats. We do love that. Um, So he knows his role. He knows that defense is his primary role. So I think that's fantastic as well. And in the bubble, Dort has been wearing Hardens right up until the start of this series. Ah, nice. He has absolutely shelved them though for now. Um, Do you agree though? He's shooting too many threes. He took too many shots in that game. I don't. I actually didn't know how many threes he took. I, I didn't I, actually I notice that. I just felt like he probably should have passed a couple okay. to, to do the old Jalen Rose. You're open for a reason. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, he's no Andre Robinson, but he's. I mean, his yeah. defense is magnificent. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. Are they using Adams well enough? No. So he's played okay in two of the three, and he's not a back to the basket post player. But when you're playing a team that's so small, you've got to try and draw some fouls, surely. Yeah, it would be nice to try and put him in a pick and roll with Chris Paul. Paul then gets his pick of a 15-foot jump shot or a pass to a rolling Adams. That's what he did so well with Westbrook, and that's why Adams was so successful. But, yeah, I don't think they're using him properly. It almost feels like OKC is trying to fight fire with fire and play small Yeah, it does a little. Yeah, and, you know, Adams has been pretty good in two of the three, as I say, but he's not getting enough shots, and he should be drawing a few more fouls. And, by the way... Chris Paul loves playing with fouls drawn. He's a career, what, 87, 88% free throw shooter? Be like, up around there, yeah. He, you know, so he would love being in the bonus. So I, I definitely don't think they're using... By the way, Chris Paul played typical pissed off Chris Paul in that game three. He did, hey. And <laughs> it, it, is it just me or did it actually feel like he was the only one that thought it was a playoff game? Yeah, I can see how you... Yeah, I Like, can, it went to OT, but it just... I don't know. It just didn't... Maybe it was for the lack of fans or... I don't know what it was, but mm. it just felt... It just didn't... Feel 100% like a playoff game yeah. to me. And a must-win playoff game as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, honest, but, absolutely. Um, cool thing as well from this game, Schroeder, Paul, Gilgis Alexander and Gallinari all had 20 or more. First time in OKC slash Seattle franchise history since game six of the first round of the 1976 playoffs against wow. Phoenix. Wow. I cannot wait for game four tomorrow. Cannot wait. And in the three versus six matchup between the Nuggets and Jazz. This is actually probably a fairly close second behind the Clippers and Mavs yes. for the best series. This yes. has been phenomenal. Yes. I mean, there's there's been some blowouts in this in this one, but that first one was a cracker. So game one, Denver 135 defeated Utah 125. Donovan Mitchell had 57 points, 22 of which in the fourth quarter. That performance being the third best all-time in playoff history behind Michael Jordan 63 and Elgin Baylor 61. But he did have a key eight-second backcourt violation down just four with only just over a minute and a half left. Could have been a different result if he hadn't done that. In game two, Utah 124 defeated Denver 105. The Jazz shot 52% from the floor and had 32 assists. Donovan Mitchell had 21 of his 30 points in the third quarter. Game three, Utah 124 defeated Denver 87. Mike Conley was back a little earlier than I thought he might be, and I might have uh, revised my pick accordingly. He had 27 with seven three-pointers, so he got the baby bump, we can call it, after celebrating the birth of his son. It's the Fred Van Vliet effect. (laughs) And then finally in game four, Utah... No, that's not right. 192. (laughs) 129. Uh, And in game four, Utah 129 defeated Denver 127 in another nail-biter. God, there's so much to unpack in this series. But look, Mitchell's 57 was obviously incredible. It's arguably the defensive effort, though, and the role players scoring in games two and three that were just as important. Jordan Clarkson had 26 off the bench in game two. 
George Niang had 16 off the bench in Game 3. The bench have really surprised with their, their huge plus-minus win against against the Nuggets. So just today we had the epic Game 4 with the Jazz coming out on top by two, as you mentioned. Some crazy individual performances by Mitchell and Jamal Murray. So Mitchell's 50 saw him become just the third player ever with two 50-point games in one series. Michael Jordan in 1988 in the first round versus Cleveland. And Allen Iverson. Ah. That's why I'm wearing the Iverson jacket yes, today. Yes, very good, very good. In the 2001 Eastern Conference semis versus Toronto. Also the first time two players have scored 45 or more in the same playoff game and the first time that two players have ever had 50 or more in the same game. Mm. And Jamal Murray had Nikola Jokic's franchise record of uh, for points in a playoff game as well. So there's two really key stats in this series. So the third quarters are massive. In the, mm. in the four games so far... Utah is plus 12, plus 14, plus 15, and plus 9. So they're averaging about an extra 12.5 points a game. That is huge. Oh, it is huge. It is huge. And then the other one's the three-point shooting. So in the game one loss, Utah was 16 of 47 from three, 34%. It's not bad, but it's not amazing. In the three wins since then, though, 20 of 44, that's 45.5%. 18 of 37, 48.6%. And 14 of 29, 48.3%. They are getting such great looks because they're being torn apart in the pick and roll with Nikola Jokic. Jokic just can't move. Mm. He's got no movement. So Mitchell's getting anything he wants. And ironically, the two players killing them in the pick and roll are Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who were both drafted by the Nuggets. Mm. So Mitchell was traded for Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon, and Gobert was traded for Eric Green and Cash. Whoops. Whoops, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think this one, unfortunately, is probably one that we're going to get wrong. So we'll punctuate this segment, Stewie, with a bit of information on 1v8 after we had two eights beat the ones in the game once. Yeah, I wanted to give you a little bit of history on it. So some of these things you will know, some of them you won't. Some of them it's just nice to reflect on because they were so so big in the history of the game. But coming into this year, eight seeds were actually 12 and 60 in game ones, which was surprisingly high. Mm. I wouldn't have thought one out of every six. So, But the eight seeds have only ever won the series four times, So, we, which I'm sure you probably knew. Well, can I have a crack? Go for it. Okay, Nuggets over Seattle. Correct. Memphis over us. Correct. Oh, sorry, Memphis over the Spurs. Um, oh, now it gets tricky. Okay, Dallas lost to Golden State. Correct. Uh, okay, you might have to help me with this. Houston Ducks under. Got it. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the New York Knicks beating the Miami Heat. Correct. 99. Yep. Oh, there you go. So this was only, as I said before, the second time that both eight seeds had won a game one. And while it's not looking like either of them will probably end up winning the series, there have been some really amazing moments. So here's 11 of the best. Go. 1986, game two of Chicago versus Boston was Jordan's 63-point game, as we all know. But I wasn't aware it was actually also George Gervin's final NBA game. Mm, for the Bulls. Correct. Mm. 1992, game four of the Portland versus LA Lakers series was actually played in Las Vegas because of the LA riots. Wow. Mm, so Interesting. That was one I didn't know about. You get your hands on the documentary LA92, by the way. Brilliant. Oh, about okay. About the riots. There we go. Fantastic. Um, in 1993, the Los Angeles Lakers were playing Phoenix as the eighth seed, and the Lakers actually took the first two games on Phoenix's home court before mm. Phoenix rallied to win all three to, to win it 3-2. Dan Marley sent Game 5 to overtime with a really tough contested jumper the day after being hospitalized with the flu. Wow. And I actually watched that game during the week and there was a very questionable, basically what should have been a shot clock violation and on review would have been mm. very late in that game, okay. which would have 
potentially put it back towards the Lakers. Good on Thunder Dan, though. Yep. 1994, as you mentioned, this is the year that the Denver Nuggets came back from 0-2 to beat Seattle to become the first number eight seed to win a series. I actually watched this one as well in the last couple of days. I don't know how they won it in overtime. They gave up a putback to Kendall Gill to tie the game and then had four shot clock violations in the overtime. Four. Four. Wow. And they also became the first team since 1951 to come back from an 0-3 deficit in the in the next round to force a game seven before falling to Utah. So they had a really magical run there. 99, as we mentioned as well, New York uh, beat Miami 3-2 on Allen Houston's game-winning jumper in Game 5. That was the year the Knicks made the finals without Patrick Ewing. Yes, indeed, yeah. 2003, this was the year that both eight seeds won Game 1. Uh, the famous Tracy McGrady, he felt good to finally be out of the first round. Ah, uh, yes. This was the first year that the first round was the best of seven, though, and McGrady claims he forgot, so... Well, maybe give him that. No, one. he didn't. Forget. After all these years, no, he didn't. <laughs> Do you know? It's funny. I remember. Um, I remember getting up to watch that game, and then our Foxtel packing up, and I was on the phone to Foxtel for like forty minutes trying to get it working. Oh no! Random. Sorry. Terrible time. Just reminded me. Yeah. Um, and the other one was Phoenix over San Antonio. So the crazy Stefan Marbury banked three pointer as time expired after Amari Stoudemire of all people sent it to overtime with a three. Oh, Amari was amazing back then. He was looking like a Hall of Fame player early yep. in his career. That was a great series. Uh, 07, Golden State over Dallas. Some interesting things here. Dallas was, at the time, only the second team to win 65 games but not win the championship. They won 67 that year, didn't they? They did, yeah. Yeah. The 2017-18 Rockets became the third, and 2007 was the first year since 1956 that both of the finalists from the previous year were knocked out in the first round. Ah, good After the fifth seed Miami Heat lost to Chicago in four games. Um, Also, Golden State's first playoff appearance in 13 years. So that's pretty cool. 2011, Memphis over San Antonio. Game one was actually the first playoff win in history for the Memphis for the, Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. Because they got swept 4 nothing in the previous three, or sorry, 04, 05, 06 playoffs. We'd so, previously had their number. Yep. Yeah. So that was na- a big coming of age for the Grizz, that one. So naturally their first win. Fuck, we could have won the championship that year too. Yep. We had a good team. 2013, OKC against Houston. We, we beat them in the series, but the series will be remembered for the infamous Russell Westbrook injury when Pat Beverly dived across him to steal the ball while Westbrook called a timeout, tore the meniscus in his knee, and without him, OKC lost 4-1 to Memphis in the second round. And the last one, 2017, Chicago versus Boston. Boston won the series 4-2. This was the series that started one day after the death of Isaiah Thomas's sister, China. To this day, I am still appalled at how Danny Ainge treated him. And I still root against the Celtics for that reason. Mm. He gave literally everything to that franchise. He played that hard after his sister Oh, he died. was amazing. He, he had an incredible season and an yep. incredible playoff run. And in the first quarter of the first game of the second round against Washington, he had a tooth knocked out and played the entire seven-game series with a temporary sort of tooth-slash-protection in his mouth. So, Yeah. Just so much great stuff in that 1-8 match. And it's just so sad that he fell from grace so quickly as well. But undersized, you know, yeah. He was in a perfect environment with Boston. Just didn't work out anywhere else. Well, we've had another big week. We've got to wrap it up. What are you amped for? Uh, Game four of OKC Houston tomorrow, absolutely. I I just cannot wait for that one. Uh, In the AFL... It's hard to choose between two. I mean, Eagles-Tigers, I guess. I've got to stick with my team. The, the Eagles-Tigers game is going to be a beauty. Mm. How about yourself? Go Eagles in that one. I'm going to go with Clips-Mavs. Okay. Hopefully it goes seven. That's the series I want to see go seven. I like it. Hopefully Doncic isn't too banged up. And if they do uh, proceed, hopefully he can still, you know, well, he played all right today mm. on a gimpy leg, didn't he? So we'll see. And then, of course, Cats and Dogs. 
That's the Geelong Cats and the Western Bulldogs to anyone. Nathan's not just excited about random domestic pets. Oh, well, you know, both. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Nathan. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex. Oh, that's our free uh, for the Dockers winning. Oh, nice. The one thing I got out of a Swans loss is some free McDonald's. You should have mentioned that. (laughs) Uh, All right.